From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to The Surgery Set. I'm Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. This is a podcast all about surgery and the individuals who are at the cutting edge of it, and we're glad you're here. My guest today on The Surgery Set is Dr. Gurjit Sandhu. She's joined us on The Surgery Set previously when we talked about innovations in medical education and specifically a new surgical residency training model based around entrustment and entrustability. She returned to us from the University of Michigan, where she's an associate professor in the Department of Surgery and Learning Health Sciences and vice chair of resident professional development in surgery to continue our discussion around progressive training models in surgical education and how different perspectives inform the way we teach and learn in the OR. Dr. Sandu, welcome back to the surgery set. Such a thrill to have you back here in Madison with us again, uh, almost exactly a year later. Right. Thank you very much. It's, it's always great to be here. If you haven't heard our previous interview with Dr. Sandu, it's uh, when you first came here uh, about a year ago, you talked a bit about entrustability and this notion of how we're sort of reframing the way that we think about training residents from sort of bringing them in, banging them on the head for five to seven years, and then, you know, sending them out to a much more thoughtful way of gradually increasing resident autonomy, kind of, that depends on how individual residents perform. Now we have you back to talk a bit more about that, about sort of some of the subtleties of that entrustability relationship and how different types of surgeons or different types of people interact. Right. So what I wanted to do is extend that and talk about evidence, right? So we talk about entrustment behaviors and entrustability behaviors and that interaction. And so let's think about that in terms of what evidence do faculty members need to advance more trust or entrustment to their trainees? And what evidence do residents need to bring to the OR to demonstrate that they can be entrusted with more opportunity, more leadership, more responsibility? And so what often ends up happening is that we are on autopilot. We behave in the ways that we've always behaved. And so we repeat those, those behaviors. And Barge and Chartrand have um, conducted a study where they looked at conscious decision-making. And what they found was that we spend most of our time, most of our daily, most of our days, um, on autopilot. So about 95% of the day is on autopilot. And, you know, we can think of some very simple examples, such as how you drive to work. We often are on autopilot, and we just get to work, and then we don't think about sort of how, what route we took. Similarly, we behave on autopilot during our jobs. Yes, you're making a lot of decisions while you are operating and thinking about patient care, but in terms of how you teach and what you're looking for in your learners, it just becomes sort of this rote thing. And in order to interrupt that, we need to be much more deliberate in terms of the evidence. We need to be deliberate about what behaviors show up in the operating room and what we're going to do when those behaviors are demonstrated. I've often heard that if you want to just inject a little more creativity into your day, take a different route to work, ah, right? Okay, yeah. Um, and I, I sort of see that same thing in, in your talk. Like, teaching becomes just kind of one of the things that we do. And the way that we're trying to innovate or sort of what we're thinking about or I, we is probably putting it strongly, right? But what I personally am thinking about in the operating room is, oh, is there a more efficient way to do this part of the operation? Or like, oh, how does this differ from the 10 times I've done this previously? And what has 
maybe become unconscious is like, how am I teaching that process? Mm -hmm. And I think what I took away from your talk was, yes, think about like, how can I do this operation better in an active way? But also we should be actively evaluating how we're teaching and not just kind of considering that part of the like normal unconscious portion of doing surgery. Yes. So what you're describing is about being safe in the moment, about patient care in the moment, what's best for this patient. Mm -hmm. And so I think by being deliberate about your teaching behaviors, you're also then thinking about patients in the future, right? That's a great way to think about it, yeah. So it does require a more conscious, more deliberate effort, but it's time well spent because it's going to also lend itself to optimizing patient care today, but also, you know, a year from now, but also when these residents are out in practice, mm-hmm. right? They've had that opportunity to become um, more autonomous, that, to create that supervised autonomous state while they're still in training. So you've helped them achieve that while you're still there to help them, right? And if we think about that 5% of the time when we are being conscious in our day-to-day, we might get some pushback and folks say, there's no way, you know? And so what we could say in those, in those events is, okay, I'll give you that. Maybe it's not five, maybe it's 15 or 25 or even 50% of the time you're conscious. Or 3% of the time, <laughs> like on, the time. on a bad right, day, right. right? Yeah. That's a huge opportunity for us to be very intentional about how we're going to interact with the person across the table. I think one of the great things, obviously, that academics do, right, is they take things that you sort of know and they, they actually like define them and put words to them. And when I think about my own teaching style in the operating room, I think, and about my own learning style, because I'm not that far out from residency and fellowship, what is it that makes me feel good? And I, I like to have positive reinforcement. I like it when people are like, okay, yes, you did that correctly. Like, I don't want to wonder like, oh, did they like that? Did they not like that? I like to talk out loud and think about you know, sort of say like, okay, well, here's what I'm thinking. And like, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. And I've definitely had situations where I'm working with a resident or when I was a resident, when I was working with an attending where like, yeah, we were, it was like this constant kind of give and take of like, oh yeah, we could do this or we could do this, but let's in fact try this because of why, you know? And I've had the opposite experience where it's like talking to a wall and it's, it's just sort of an awkward experience. You've identified sort of two somewhat dichotomous, although there's a lot of overlap, right? But two terms to sort of define that, which is promotion and prevention. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the Myers-Briggs of surgery, right? Like, right. Are, you, are you a promotion person or are you a prevention person? Right. Can you talk a little bit about those differences and, and about sort of those specific terms, which I actually think do a great job of capturing that experience of like, they're kind of two different modes that you can be in. So, so this model comes from two psychologists, behavioral psychologists, Haggins and Halverson. And they talk about your motivational style, how you work towards achieving a goal. And so this resonated really well with uh, Dr. Mitcher and I and Janet Dabrowski, who's an executive coach. And when we were thinking about, so, you know, what, are, what motivates surgeons? You know, they're goal-oriented. Their goal is to help this patient get better. And so we were looking for a model that would help explain those different approaches to achieving a goal. This model that looks at style seemed to fit really well. 
And so what we found is that there are two, there, the two styles are promotion-oriented and prevention-oriented. Mm-hmm. Those folks who lean more towards being promotion-oriented are just as you described. So you're likely a promo- more promotion-oriented. So willing to take some more risks, think about lots of different ways of doing things, um, tend to work a little more quickly, are more comfortable with, with that risk-taking behavior, the unknowns. Prevention-oriented folks express much more vigilance in their practice. They make sure they have covered every step. They really think through all the safety and the protocol and the guidelines, and they make sure that that dialogue happens during the operating room. So just as you were saying, when you have folks who have a different motivation towards achieving that goal, it can create some friction because the styles are so different. And you've probably been in that situation where you have a flow with someone, things, and just things just seem to be totally just going well. And often it's because you're approaching the situation in the same way, right? Yeah, I get you, and you just kind of have this ease. But when one, someone challenges uh, your style or your way of doing things, it almost seems as though they're you know, putting up roadblocks or you don't trust them. Right? Mm-hmm. So let me give you an example of a faculty member who is more prevention-oriented, and they are working with a very promotion-oriented individual. And that individual is bringing all kinds of ideas to the table, wants to work quickly. To the prevention-oriented faculty member, that's going to feel dangerous. Mm-hmm. That's going to feel as though that individual is, is working way too quickly. They haven't been thoughtful about what they're doing. And, but in reality, it's just two different styles. So what we're trying to encourage folks to do is be more transparent about what they're doing. Really articulate what's going on. And try to give each other more evidence around those so promotion-oriented style or prevention-oriented style. So what would help this resident would be to come in and to tell this prevention-oriented faculty member, you know, I've thought about what risks might happen in this case, and here are the places where I think we might run into some challenges, and here are some of the the guidelines around this. And that would help put the promotion-oriented resident and the prevention-oriented faculty member on the same channel. So we, we really talk about kind of being on the same channel, creating that flow, enhancing those opportunities for entrustment and entrustability. I mean, it all comes down to communication. Communication. As usual, right? Yeah. And I remember my program director when I was a resident in Seattle, Karen Horvath, you know, she said, like, the single best thing you can do to, to be successful as a resident is just to always tell us what you're thinking. And I found that to be totally true. If a resident comes in and whether they're saying, like, oh, can we try this? I've always wanted to try this. Or if they're saying, I'm really worried that right there is a big vein. Like, mm-hmm. I want to stay away from that. Mm-hmm. Either one is great. I, knowing what you're thinking right. makes all the difference. And I try to do that in the OR, too. Just I, I'm always talking. I'm like, okay, well, this is why I'm doing this. Or, you know, one time I tried this, and that didn't go well. So we're going to do this instead. You know, like, we're going to stay away from that particular venous plexus. And when I was talking to Dr. Pitt yesterday, she said the same thing. She really talks out loud. So I call it a think aloud. Mm-hmm. And you're articulating what you're doing at each step. So if it's if she feels that there's a part of the operation that she's concerned about and she would like to take the lead on that, so that it's not a lost educational opportunity, she articulates what she's doing. She talks through it. So then afterwards, they can have a conversation about what, what's happening. Because sometimes it's, it's hard to get another person to do that, that part of the procedure where it might even be tricky for you. Right. But to think out loud will help both people. Yeah, and I mean, we do this. Obviously, we operate in pediatric surgery. I'm like, tiny kids, and they've got weird problems, and it's hard technically. A lot of times we're doing it like laparoscopically, operating basically in the space of like an egg. Mm-hmm. I always feel bad when I'm like, 
don't let the residents do large portions of a case, you know, I always try to explain, like, look, I'm not even sure I can do this. I'm going to do the parts that I know are going to be bad and that where it's going to be, like, if something goes wrong, like, I can't fix it. And then we're going to find places for you to do this. I'm explaining to you what I'm thinking. Like, I'm telling you what you would need to be able to do in order for me to at least feel comfortable with you doing it, right? So, like, it's always that verbalization. So hopefully the residents aren't thinking, like, oh, Kohler, just, like, he just does the whole case and we just stand there. What sounds to me, what you're describing is having clear expectations. Right. And I think, as going back to communication, if those expectations are set ahead of time with the trainee to say, you know, this is the part that I'm worried about and I'm going to take the lead on, here's the part that where I'm really going to give you some space. Yeah. And I'm going to let you... Um, work on that, and I'm going to give you really great feedback. And so they know that they're going to be actively involved. They can prime themselves for that. You can set a goal, mm-hmm. and then you can circle back to that, right? Right. You have to keep in the back of your head, like, if, if this is a more prevention-oriented person, like, they're not going to want you to be telling them they're doing a great job. They're going to be struggling with articulating kind of free ideas instead of sort of, like, trying to give you exactly the answer that you're looking for. Like, there's a lot of subtlety in these, like, two bins. So alongside that, you know, when we um, talk to faculty in different departments around the country, I, I try to ask them, so what experiences do you have around formalized teaching? You know, have you built up um, any faculty development around this? And there are very few people who have um, professional development around teaching. So going back to what we said earlier, people end up defaulting to behaviors that they've seen their faculty member teach them, things that feel comfortable. And I think what we need to do is start to be more explicit about expectations and and giving people some tools around how they can teach differently. Because they may not have that, that toolbox may not be full. So creating these expectations, the BID model, talking about promotion prevention, these are all tools to enhance that teaching and learning interaction. Right, because it, like I'm going to walk out of this meeting today having taken a, a little survey online and gotten a little report and a button, and I know now that I am 59% promotion and 41% prevention. And that, I'm, I look at that, I'm like, yeah, that seems pretty right. Like, surprisingly accurate given how quick the online quiz was. You guys have this figured out. <laughs> how does that change my behavior? Like, well, honestly, in a week, will I really remember... And that's why we've got a whole bunch of other stuff coming down the line, right? So talk a little bit about OpTrust and how we're going to actually be operationalizing this. Like people are going to be coming in and watching us and and grading how we do this. Right. So so two thoughts. One is this is very much about culture change, right? So we found that the residents really drive this. The residents really want more opportunity. The residents are trying to find more ways to demonstrate that they're ready for the next opportunity, the next set of responsibilities. So what we found in, in, at Michigan and, and at other institutions is that residents will really be driving this culture change. They'll come in saying different things. Mm. They'll come in seeking different behavior. They'll come in asking for more opportunity. And they will give you more evidence in terms of your own style, whether you're promotion or prevention, and they'll speak to you on that channel. So you'll start to notice this sort of change around language and behavior and culture. So the residents will come to us and say, look, I'm 90% prevention FYI. (laughs) And then we sort of know how to manage that. They they may, but I have a good sense that you probably know where your residents fall, right? Yes. Well, I was talking with my, one of my partners at the end of your talk and I was like, not only our residents, but like among us, right? Like we've got someone who's like, must be a hundred percent promotion and someone who's must be a hundred percent 
prevention, and then like three of us who are kind of probably somewhere in the right. middle. Right. Yeah. And so. Again, what I said earlier was this is directional and not diagnostic. It gives you some more information about how you might approach that interaction. In Wisconsin, you're going to have these nice buttons that say whether you're more promotion-leaning or more prevention-leaning. You'll have a few people with two buttons because they're smack dab in the middle. Yeah. And it just gives you some more information about how you might optimize that interaction. And the raters or the observers who are going to be coming into your ORs, they're there to sort of see if we're making, if this is making a difference. And it's all voluntary. No one is going to be, there's no consequence around this. It's not punitive. Right. We're not way. being graded. We're not being graded. We're just maybe being kind of scored on continuums. Yes. And right? so what this would help with is professional development for faculty and residents. Because mm. the idea is we all want to do better. Yeah. You want your residents to be better learners. You want to be a better educator. I mean, these are some of the reasons why you're at an academic institution. Of course. Right? Yeah. So what, what the raters would do is they have this OpTrust instrument that has five domains of entrustment and four different levels for each domain. And so what we've found is that sometimes the faculty members are demonstrating high levels of entrustment, and those are their behaviors. We have specific behaviors that we look for. And the residents are just hanging back. They're being very deferential. Mm. They're being very sort of nice about you know, following their faculty member and not, and not trying to be too much of, take too much control. Right, like we're saying here, dissect around this artery, and they're saying, eh, why don't you do it? Yeah, yeah. or they'll pause. Right. You can actually see them sometimes kind of freeze or right. stop asking for instruments. They'll be there, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so that's an opportunity to point out to the resident, hey, you know, the faculty member was giving you a lot of space, and you were hanging back here. Here's a couple of things that you can do to rise to the occasion. And we've done that with, with residents. And they said, oh, I didn't realize I was even doing that. Right. Like going back and we're to just de-automating de it. Yes. yes, right. And so very quickly, they can start speaking and behaving in ways that more better reflect what the faculty members know they can do. And we've seen the reverse, too, where residents come in well-prepared, they've sent a plan ahead of time, they've thought through complications, you know, they're really well-prepared, and the faculty member is just kind of stuck on... Hold this retractor. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so when that happens, that's a professional development opportunity for the faculty member, for us to say, you know, the residents were showing these behaviors, here's something that you might be able to do to show them that you see that they're well prepared. And so we've noticed that that's been, we've been able to evoke some change in those, in those behaviors. Fantastic. Obviously this is a continuum. Obviously mm -hmm. this is like a long process. Obviously you're going to be coming back again and we'll be talking in a year about the next steps that we're taking in this, in this culture change. But I mean, I think it's, it's so valuable to be thinking about it and approaching it in a systematic way and, and sort of recognizing formally you know, the value of communication, the value of structure and value of being thoughtful about these things that we sort of take for granted. It's just so cool. Thank you very much for having me. This was really great. Thank you. Thanks for, for coming back. And, and we do look forward to, uh, to round three. Next time on The Surgery Set, I continue our conversation about resident education and medical professionalism with Dr. John Mansour. He's an associate professor in the Department of Surgery and Chief of Surgical Oncology at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center and an alum of our program at the University of Wisconsin. He is part of a national team that measures how well doctors and hospitals are caring for patients with hepatobiliary cancers. And he was in Madison recently as our Bernhardt visiting professor to give a great talk entitled The Place of Medical Professionalism in Surgical Education. We talked about the evolution of the concept and definition of professionalism in surgery 
and you won't want to miss it. Talk to you soon. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Chelsea Johnson and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by Elizabeth DiNovella. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. I encourage you to visit us at surgery.wisc.edu, where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. In addition, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. And of course, you can follow us on social media. You can like our Facebook page and also find us on Twitter at Whisk Surgery, and I'm at J.E. Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing, rate and review us on your podcast app, and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Thanks, and we hope you check back soon. On Wisconsin.